Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast, a podcast about being gay and sober and not just on Sundays. In this podcast, we'll explore the ins and outs of being queer and sober in a world where drinking and using are woven into the fabric of our culture. This season, we'll be hearing the stories of addiction and recovery from sober gays from all over the world. Every story of recovery is unique in its own way, and every story deserves to be heard. So let's go. In today's episode, we welcome Nicholas. Nicholas lives in Medford, Massachusetts with his husband, Josh, and their black cat, Roxy. He's from Canton, Ohio, and moved to the Boston area back in 2009. He has been a book publicist since 2010. His passions are everything Mariah Carey, X-Men, and old movies. He has been happily sober since March 2020. Please welcome Nicholas. Hello, Nick. How are you? Good. Um, happy to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Welcome to the pod. So why don't we start off by you just telling us your name, your preferred pronouns, and a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, my name is Nicholas DiSabatino. Um, my preferred pronouns are he, him, his. Um, I am originally from Canton, Ohio, but I now live in Medford, Massachusetts uh, with my husband, Josh, and our 17-year-old black cat, Roxy. And I work in book publishing, and I have been sober for three years and four months. That's absolutely amazing. Why don't you take us through your sobriety journey? Uh, take us back to the very beginning and bring us all the way through till now. Sure. Um, well, thank you so much again for this opportunity to chat. Um, I think it's really, really important for folks to share their stories and also for all of us to, you know, develop a sense of empathy with each other. Um, so my story goes back, um, I'll say, to start with, um, I'm a direct product of my parents. And um, what I mean by that is, um, so my paternal father uh, is an alcoholic. Um, he's never admitted to as such, but that is essentially what led to my parents' divorce when I was around six years old. Um, and since the 1980s, my mother, who is incredibly supportive of me, um, she has been a fervent member of Al-Anon, which, as you are, I'm sure, aware, is an organization for friends and family of alcoholics. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually where she met my stepfather. <laughs> um, and um, so it's an interesting, I wanted to mention that as kind of background because um, once over the last how many years when I came to the realization that I, I had a problem and that I was an alcoholic, this kind of felt um, uh, two, two choices and I didn't want either. <laughs> So I didn't start drinking until senior year of undergrad. Um, I was kind of a late bloomer, I guess, if you would say. Um, yeah, yeah. I have always not had a very uh, high tolerance, much a big lightweight. I think through my you know early twenties and everything, it wasn't so much of an issue. Like, um, yeah, yeah. and and ultimately. I would say mid to late twenties is when it became a real problem. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say um, how I, I noticed, of course, um, even, you know, being years in denial, it would come out in ways primarily um, socially. Um, and what I mean by that is 
I wasn't feeling like I needed to wake up and have a drink. I was, it would be more, um, we were in a, a party setting or we were with a group of friends and I would get drunk very quickly um, because of just no tolerance. And yeah. depending on, you know, the situation who we were hanging with, you know, things could escalate. And when I knew it was a problem was when I, you know, I can say this now and I still have a lot of shame involved with it, but I'm trying to work through it. Um, you know, uh, when I would get uh, drunk, I would get incredibly flirty and I would get incredibly um, handsy and I would get, uh, I would push people's boundaries and um, I didn't know I was making them uncomfortable, but I, I was. Um, and it was a really, really hard thing. And the other component of that is, um, you know, looking back in hindsight, the the disrespect that I showed to my partner throughout this, which has been, you know, something that you, you work through and you think about. Um, I didn't have one quote unquote rock bottom moment or anything. It was kind of leading up to various things, I would say. You know, I, my, my drinking never affected my ability to do my, my job. It never affected me so much on a day to day. I was definitely what they call a functioning alcoholic. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think when I did come out as sober, a lot of people didn't really believe me, which was, was hard because certain people only saw me in certain ways. And yeah. I had more than one friend kind of push back and be like, why are you doing this? They're like, you're, you're fine. But they have never, they had not seen me in every circumstance. Even my mother, who I love so much and is so supportive, even at first, I think she was confused. And she's completely supportive now, obviously. But I don't think, I think there was a, an, uh, because they weren't seeing the, the specifics of the behavior. You know, they were just seeing me having fun, having two glasses of wine and being silly. Um, they mm -hmm. weren't seeing me surrounded by, you know, other gay men um, and the pattern of behavior that would come out for that. And over the last couple of years, um, essentially 2018, 2019, all pre-pandemic, I lost a really close friend. I was I was friends with um, a young woman for about 10 years. She was my maid of honor at my wedding. And she ultimately kind of started to um, ice me out. And I, I didn't really know why at first. And again, mm -hmm. this was denial too. Um, and she find I kind of had to finally, you know, ask like, what's going on? I value you so much as a friend. I feel like you're being really distant. And she, you know, rightfully told me that um, my behavior in certain circumstances upset her that I had embarrassed her, that I had made her friends uncomfortable. I remember the day very vividly when I got that email, I was like on, the, I was at the gym, like on an elliptical and I had to stop because I burst into tears because it was, it was such a gut punch, even though, you know, some part of me always knew that this was it. And, you know, it was, it was, it was very, very hard. And it was a situation where, you know, I, I apologized and I tried to make amends and I, um, but, but it ultimately was kind of a conditional, we can only be friends if you never drink again. And unfortunately at that period, I wasn't at that stage where I could give up drinking completely. I think this person saw that as 
I think they saw me as someone not worth investing in and giving a chance. Um, and that was really hard for me. Drinking for me has always been an expression of um, a lack of self-worth and a lack of self-esteem. Um, I have had the good fortune to be in counseling since I was eight years old. Um, and this has definitely been something that has been my rocks since my sobriety, my counselor. Mm -hmm. um, I really think everyone should <laughs> invest in a good therapist. I know Absolutely. some people are, yeah, <laughs> I know some people aren't as comfortable with it. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, it was an opportunity to really dig deep um, and to try to think about the whys behind the behavior. Um, and so ultimately, um, I would say that, you know, I, I knew this was a problem and I talked about it with my husband and, you know, he told me it was a problem too. And I started to attend occasional AA meetings in the Boston area. And yeah. I tried to look for ones that were specifically catered to the LGBTQ plus community. And the first couple ones were hard. Um, so I had been um, as a child and as a teenager to Al-Anon meetings, either as yeah, a, a spectator. So I wasn't completely surprised by the structure. I was very, um, you know, I was very scared and put off at first. Um, and I think I do, first of all, recognize the value that people get out of AA. And I don't think otherwise. I always kind of felt really just bad leaving every session. And I think also that was probably me not ready to be there yet too. Yeah. Um, it was hard because, you know, everyone's experience is different and you should never compare. And I was hearing stories that were really powerful and personable, but I, I didn't hear my story and my story felt like light. And, and, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. It, it didn't feel important enough. It, I, I, I haven't been to rehab. I haven't lost a job from alcohol and that's not me trying to, you know, say that in a cocky way or anything, just more like I didn't see my experience reflected in some of the people I was listening to. And, and that was hard. Um, so I had to take a step back and remind myself that everyone's experience is different, that not one is better than the other, that everyone is going through this in different ways. And I think one of the main things is we as a, a society don't know to have a nuance we still don't really know how to have a nuanced conversation about alcoholism and the varying shades mm -hmm. of gray that there are. And I think, you know, a lot of media depictions, it's always 110 mm -hmm. or, or zero. Um, and I think there are degrees. And I think everyone um, who identifies as being an alcoholic and now a sober person can, can fit into different gray areas in that, you know, I think um, for myself, uh, well, obviously the pandemic was horrific and it's still going on. Um, it was in some ways a godsend for me because um, so I stopped drinking the first week in March, whatever of 20th or whatever that week was in 2020. I remember like we had had some friends over, like it was one of those experiences where like, oh, should we be hanging out? I don't know, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I was drinking wine and I already knew I had had too much and and I just made the decision and I want cold turkey and I don't know if this would work for other people. And I don't know if it was the best move, but it worked for me surprisingly. Yeah. Um, but I didn't do it alone. I did it with a really supportive partner and I did it with, um, I was in a very privileged space that I had 
job security that I could work from home and I wasn't worried about mm -hmm. that. Um, but I was being taken out of those social circumstances that were triggers for my alcoholism, which really helped me to kind of take a breather. And I have gotten to the point too, where I can be, I, you know, my husband can have a glass of wine in front of me and it doesn't bother me. I can go out to the alley with some friends um, and they can have beer and I can have, you know, an athletic beer, um, the mm -hmm. non-alcoholic beer. Um, and that doesn't bother me. And, you know, everyone's different too, because I think, um, you know, for some folks, it's still really hard to be around that environment. Um, yeah. And I'm very lucky that I'm at a place that it doesn't feel that way for me. I think what I've kind of found so much though throughout this experience um, is that, you know, it's, it's just fucking hard and I don't really miss the drinking though, but there's, there's a weird part of me that wishes people would check in on me about it. And I'm sure if I was, I'm sure if I was an active member of AA, then I could find that community. And that's, that's kind of the disconnect too, that I'm in my personal journey I'm mm -hmm. dealing with um, a loneliness. So, which is one of the reasons I was very grateful to hear about the discovery of your group and the work that you're doing for the community. And um, it was, it was very nice for me because literally when I started going to AA meetings, I literally just wanted to go to make friends, which is not the purpose. I yeah. mean, that, 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 that's, that's a nice benefit, but it's not the purpose. Mm -hmm. I totally believe in so many of the principles of AA in terms of making amends and doing mm -hmm. that things. One of the things I've had to learn uh, as someone who's going to be 37 in a couple months, um, uh, unfortunately with anyone who has experienced or is, is an alcoholic or, or just in life in general, like you're not going to get closure. And that's really hard on a lot of mm -hmm. different things. Um, yeah. I didn't get closure with my friends. I never got closure with my dad you don't get closure or or you don't get closure in the way that you fantasize about and that there's, you know, real lessons learned. And there's a, there's a, sometimes you just, there's just silence from the other person. Yeah. And that's really mm -hmm. hard. Even if you've, you've tried to make amends and that's their right. They can choose to decide not to engage with you after the hurt yeah. you've inflicted. And that mm -hmm. I get it, but it's yeah. still really lonely and hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think of my alcoholism, I, I try not to think about it in terms of the last three years, I've tried to forgive myself in some ways and to remind mm -hmm. myself that I am a worthy person, that I am a worthy spouse and friend, and that I am deserving of love. And that's hard um, because uh, the alcoholism was all acting out and mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be cliche and say it's like, oh, I wanted this attention. I wanted someone to f find me attractive. I wanted to flirt. I wanted to, yeah, yes, all of that. Um, but I think it was basically, you know, it is a cry for help in some ways. I try to remind myself not to go down memory lane all the time because it's really hard for me. Um, I know some people don't remember every episode. I don't remember every episode, but I remember the big ones. I remember... Mm -hmm ruining a night on our honeymoon in Florence and um, getting sick and ruining an evening for my husband. And I, and I yeah. can't give that back. I remember um, two back-to-back -back New Year's parties where I behaved abominably and I 
I can't feel the way about the holiday ever again because of that. And I, mm-hmm. and I have that rec I recognize that. And, you know, it's, it's hard because I think if, if you put yourself around supportive people, I, I mean, that's a given obviously, but it really mm-hmm. does help. Um, you know, I had a, a person who was a friend who, you know, I had a dinner party and it was pre- predominantly gay men and they were drinking I was not, but I was in a space where I was okay with it and it was okay. And I didn't feel triggered or anything. And this, this friend, unfortunately, they got a little drunk and they started bringing up, remember what you did back in the day? Remember when you did this? Remember Mm -hmm. when you blah, blah, blah. And I, and I couldn't believe you did this. And it, it was so hurtful. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a hard reminder that you have to give herself some grace as corny as that is kind of wanted my own path. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm still figuring out that what that is. Um, Some things that really did help me though, in addition to therapy, a very supportive spouse and friends. um, I started volunteering. I volunteered with the big brother program of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. um, And that put me in, in a really good spot and kind of forced me to not think about myself and think about someone else. That's a great tool for, for sobriety is to have someone who won't judge you and who just wants you to show up. It's, it's the, the, the forgiveness. Cause I struggle with this too. I struggle with the, the things I've done to my family and my friends reliving that stuff over and over. And they have all forgiven me and moved on for years now because my heavy heavy drinking was about a decade ago so my new sobriety is from drugs but they don't remember all that crazy stuff like they have so moved on and that is one of the biggest things that i've had to work with my therapist with is getting myself to forgive me yeah for something that happened like 10 years ago you know and it's 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 one of the hardest things so when you say it's hard it's no true words have been spoken. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast. Please feel free to like, subscribe, share, and comment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sober Gay Sunday. You can also email me directly at SoberGaySunday at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay sober, guys. I'm so sick of small talking. Tell me something you're talking. Talking.